And I would agree with Brother Jeff as we enter into our worship service this morning. He is worthy of our worship. I trust you've been enjoying the prelude music as it sets our hearts aright and encourages us in the Lord and prepares us for our service. I thought we would begin our worship service by just acknowledging the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hymn writer said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What makes me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that to the child of the living God. Stand if you would. And let's just be reminded about the powerful blood of Jesus. The hope and peace it is in our lives. Yesterday when I came here, I was setting up cones, and I saw a sign on the ground. It was laying down flat, and it said one way. First thing that came to my mind was salvation. And salvation is a gift that you give us through your son that came down and died on the cross for us. Father, we know that by accepting him in our hearts, that you save us from all of our sin and cover it, Father. 
Father, we know that if someone's here today, that they would just open their hearts and their minds, allow you to come in their heart, and you will forgive them all their sins, that they can spend eternity with you, Father. Father, I just ask you to be with Pastor Hunter as he's bringing us to the book of John, chapter 8. It's a tender, it's a tender chapter, Father. Just, just please allow him to speak your word, Father. We love you. Be with us now as we greet one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn around and wave to your neighbor. says he's the sweet lamb of God. I love the holy lamb of God. Lift your voice. Let's sing about our great lamb of God, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being in the house of God today. So delighted to gather together with you in worship on this holiday weekend. Many of our folks are away and traveling, and I'm glad that you have no life and no place to go, and so here you are with me as well. And uh, welcome to Plantation Baptist. Those of you that are watching online today and our folks that are traveling, I'm sure you've got us on the phone or on the computer somewhere. We miss you, and we pray God's traveling mercies upon you. And uh, hope to see you very, very soon. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, we're delighted to have you as well. And I trust that if you'll take a moment and reach out in front of you, there should be a connection card. Take the ink pen that's there. Fill that out when the offering plate goes by. Put it in the offering plate. That'll give us a record of your attendance. If you're watching online today and you're visiting, maybe just put on there uh, new to Plantation, new to PBC. And we'll be sure to reach out to you. Church family, if you're watching, we always ask you to check in and to share uh, the service with people coming back to church. 
now. Um, those of you that are still there have that responsibility, and so I trust and pray that you'll be able to do that. While they are doing that, let's make some announcements, let you know some things that are going on. Beginning with today, we're beginning to move back into our schedule of services and ministries. And one of them that we're looking forward to having back is our choir. We miss our choir. And we are going to begin choir practice today uh, at 4.30. And I think they will practice up to about 6 o'clock. And uh, choir, we need you, and we need you back. The choir has a powerful ministry uh, in any church, and they do as well in our church, and uh, singing and the praises of God and, and lifting our hearts to worship and setting the tone for our service. And so I'm inviting you to come back. Uh, we've been out, and new people have come and so on to be in our choir you have to be a member of our church, or at least in the membership process, for sure. Uh, you should be able to sing just a little bit, or we put you out on the edges. No offense to those that are out on the edges. Um, but we'll have you sing with Brother Jeff, just so we know you can do that. I would say, church family, if you're a member of our church, and you can sing, and you're not serving right now, you have room and time, jump in the choir till at least Christmas. Help us through the Christmas season. The choir will begin to sing the very first Sunday of December, and they'll sing throughout the Christmas season, and including in that would be our Christmas Eve service. Maybe you're not able to be in there for the, all the time, but you could help us get started. Um, that would be just a major, major help um, for us. So see Brother Jeff, see Beverly. Uh, don't see me, because I can't tell if you're on tune or not. I... I Everybody sounds great to me, and so uh, that's just not a good thing. I'm telling you that right now. But see them if you would. Our children are practicing there for Christmas, their Christmas service even now. They do it eight thirty and ten thirty. So if you're watching online, um, some some of our families have not come back with their kids, and some of those kids, all those kids, we need. So I'm. I'm ask you to consider that. We're doing all we can for safety and security, but we miss your children, and we need them for the program, which will be the second Sunday of December. So I I would beg you to consider that, and as we move into Sunday school, I'll I'll say some more things about that as well. Um, On the very first Sunday of November, we will open up our Sunday school ministries, and we look forward to getting back to that. We'll open up our new members class that day at 10 o'clock, our new believers class that day at 10 o'clock. And so the first Sunday of November is a big day. It's also the Sunday that we set our clocks back, and uh, that'll be a blessing for that, for that day. Veterans, on the first Saturday of November, November 7th, we have our veterans breakfast. Usually we have just a tremendous crowd um, for our veterans breakfast. We used to fit and we'd take down a wall. We'd have two rooms. We'll open up the whole thing so there'll be plenty of room in there. And uh, just give us the opportunity to honor you. Give us the opportunity to reckon your service. I'm not a veteran. I get invited. I attend. And I'm just blessed and amazed at just the sweet spirit that is in that place. And I always leave veterans breakfast encouraged. Uh, by the men and women that have served our nation and, and their families. Of course, you can invite a guest that's been in the service. Your family is welcome. We would ask you to sign up at the welcome desk there so we can be prepared for you. 
Um, you, anybody in here used the new driveway today? You drove on the new cement coming in. We did it at 8.30. You're afraid, aren't you? One I see back there did. It will hold you now. So uh, don't park your car over there or you'll have flat tires when you go out. But you can come in the driveway, come underneath the overhang, drop your family, and then go over there and park your car. The parking lot just looks beautiful and stunning. The fence is going up along the back. And uh, it, one day it's going to look like that picture, I promise you. Except for the Lamborghinis and the Porsches that are in that picture right there. Uh, they put that in there for fun. But it's going to look like that. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be for the glory of the Lord. And it's going to be a place where people can park their car and come in and hear the preaching of the Word of God. And so thank you so much. Continue to pray and give and just all the support. Uh, Brother Joey wanted me to make the announcement again that we are open for help throughout the week. And many of you came this week and helped. If you notice out in the east field, the Christmas lights have already begun to go up. And we can use help. Uh, some of it is sit-down work and tedious work. Some of it's outside work. Some of it can be over here, uh, dragging trees and doing some, some yard work and so on. So if you get an hour, you get two hours, you get a day, um, we sure could use the help. If you call in, ask for Brother Joey or check with one of the secretaries, and we'll make sure to get you arranged in a place accordingly. Thank you so much as we look forward to the Christmas season and what God is going to do there. God has been doing wonderful things through Plantation Baptist Church, and I give Him glory today. I I chose Him 295 as our last hymn before the offering and before the special and for the preaching. And I just wanted to take a moment for the people of God just to kind of... Be concentrated on the story of Jesus. The hymn is entitled, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. It's written by Fanny Crosby, the great hymn writer. And in the chorus, she writes, Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. And it begins uh, in telling us the love of the Lord Jesus, His sacrifice, and all that He has done for us. And man, when you get to the the chorus of that, I hope you find him sweeter than he was when you came in. Stand if you would, and let's sing the story. Concentrate on what you're doing, and let it be a blessing to you.
seated, please. As we come to our offering time today, I have a special prayer request for our church family. Church family, we have a family in our church that has gone through a devastating week. Not sure if you know the Jump family. Um, James and Laverna Jump. Uh, The family is quite extensive, and they've been members of our church for years. Of course, Ronald and Antoinette Jaswani grew up in our church. Uh, James and Laverna's son, Neil, 31 years of age, uh, was killed this week on Wednesday. And never dreamed that he would wake up that day and and it would be his last day on the earth. Um, You know, parents aren't supposed to lose children. And if you've ever been in a place like that, you can only imagine the weeping and the wailing. And I reached out to the family and... We're going to have a funeral service on October 24th here at the church, but their hearts have just been ripped out of their chest. Um, we need to take them to the throne of grace. We need the God of all comfort to comfort them. Please pray. Um, I don't. It couldn't even get words out. They're just, just wailing. And you, some of you have walked that path. You know what it's like. Please undergird. Um, if you know them, you want to send them a card or an expression, we have the address here at the church, but pray if you would, please. The song, After I'm Done Praying, the offertory song, will be sung today in two languages. It will be sung in the language of English, the best that the Filipino over here can do. (laughs) And it will be sung in the language of signs. And the song is entitled, I Am. And it reminds me, and we're in John chapter 8, where Jesus said, I'm, I'm the light of the world. And one thing I appreciate is, when you'll see from Rod as he sings, but the way that the song is signed, the hands are in the air. And when you just think about the Lord Jesus being the great I Am, it, it almost wants you just to lift your hands and bring glory to him. You're, you're in for a great treat. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father God, I've run into the word now from the mouth of Brother Joey, from the pen of Fanny Crosby, from the recognition of my own spirit, tender. I've, I sense the tenderness of the Holy Spirit of God today. The truth, Lord, that will come from the Scripture must be must be presented ten- tenderly. Fanny Crosby, when she wrote, thinking of the story of Jesus, love in that story so tender, clearer than ever I see. Against the background of hate today will be the love of God. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit of God, to enable me to preach and teach today with power and authority, but with clarity and carefulness. I beg you. Holy Spirit of God, I lift to the throne of grace today the Jump family. Father, they, they've just been devastated. 
you know what it is to have a child die. People in this room know what it is to have a child die. You know what you're capable of, Heavenly Father. You are the God of all comfort. So I'm asking you to comfort James, comfort Laverna, God, uh, Roman and Jaswani and Ronald and Antoinette. And Lord, there's no, I, all we could do is cry. But you, you can comfort. I beg you to do that. Even now, God, begin to put that service together as I'm sure there will be an opportunity for the gospel. I beg you to help us there. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for being our great God and our great Savior. Thank you for our church family today. I lift Plantation Baptist Church to the throne of grace. Many of our folks are traveling today and give them traveling mercies. Lord, the folks that are watching online, may they, may they be able to sense in their car, in their home, wherever they are, what we're sensing in this room as we corporately come together. I pray that you'd bless Brother Rod and Marty as they lift their voices and sing of the great I Am, the Lord Jesus. Receive the offering for your glory now. We love you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we make our prayer. Amen. And amen. God bless you as you give. Listen to this powerful offertory. I am the maker of the heavens. I am the bright and morning star. I am. Breath of all creation, who always was and is to come, I am. The one who walked on water, I am. The one who calmed the seas, I am. The miracles and wonders, so come and see. Follow me, that you will know, I am the fount of living water, risen son of man, the healer of the broken, and when you cry, I am your Savior and Redeemer, who born the sin of man, the author and perfecter. Beginning and the end, yes I am. I am spirit deep inside you. I am word upon your heart. I am one who even knew you before your birth. I am the fount of living water, risen son of man, the healer of the broken. And when you cry, I am your Savior and Redeemer, who bore the sin of man, the author and perfecter, beginning and the end. Yes, I am.
I am the universe, I am every heart, I am where you are, I am the Lord of Lords, the King of Peace, the Holy Lamb, above all things, yes I am, Almighty God the Father, Christian Son of Man, the healer of the broken, and when you cry Savior and Redeemer, who bore the sin of man, the author and perfecter, beginning and the end. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. the great I am, his eternal name. What a joy, what a, what a blessing that was. Thank you guys. You're sitting there thinking, I sure would love to do sign language, right? Well, you are blessed because one of the gifts that Marty has is teaching the language. And she does, she may know this, she may not know this, but my plan is for her to do a sign language class and teach us. If we had a sign language class, would anybody be interested in learning sign? Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, Okay. I don't know what to do now because I was thinking maybe five or six. But every Sunday and every Wednesday um, over the airwaves, Marty does the sign language and we're praying about that ministry that God would move and use it in just a wonderful way. We're waiting on God to kind of show us what he is doing. What I know that he is going to further the gospel in that language. And uh, what a blessing and a joy that will be. Take your Bible, if you would, please, and find the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 8. 59 verses in this chapter. Second only, I think, to the 6th chapter of the book of John. And powerful is this chapter. Precious is this chapter. Wonderful is that what God has for us in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John. For those of you that have been with me, you know that the series that we are preaching on is entitled, That You Might Have Life. It is the purpose of the writing of this book, as John has identified what he believes the Spirit of God has brought to him in his mind and his heart. That these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. And that believing Him, you might have life in His name. This book of the Bible is designed to create belief. Because of the truth of the book and it being the Word of God, it demands Belief. Not just belief that there is a God, but belief in the true and living God. It's to bring about belief in the Lord Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah. 
already seven chapters done. And we have seen many come to faith in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You can say amen to that. That would encourage me and encourage those folks. Not only is there truth in the book that enables people to see the Lord Jesus as their Savior. It enables saved people to see their sanctification in knowing and growing in the Lord. Today's message, I make no apology for. I don't think you want a pastor that apologizes for the Word of God. You want one that preaches the Word of God. I did ask for carefulness and for clarity. And I appreciate Brother Joey reminding me of that word, tender. The eighth chapter of the book of John is anything but tender. The chapter opens with a scheme that comes from the hateful heart of the Pharisees. Scheme against the Lord Jesus. Scheme. Desire that they might have something to accuse him. When you get down to the 59th verse of the chapter, you will find that they've moved away from a scheme to accuse. Now they have stones to kill him. So from chapter number 1, I mean verse number 1 to verse number 59, it's quite a ride when it comes to the acknowledgement of who Jesus is. Matter of the fact, if you were to look at verse number 25 in the chapter, they actually get to the point where they say, Who are you? Who are you? Jesus says to them, I said, I am the same that I said unto you from the beginning. So I want to take the first 11 verses this morning as our text. And I want to present to you the opening scheme of the, of the Pharisees. The scheme sets the stage for the teaching of the Lord Jesus. I hear myself say that phrase, teaching, because that's been one of the lines that your pastor has navigated in the Gospel of John. The, 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 the calling of a pastor... He is to be a pastor and a teacher. It's the same same gift that's given to one man. There are days when the pastor comes to the pulpit and he thunders and he preaches and he heralds. There are other days when the pastor comes to the pulpit and he teaches with simplicity, carefulness, and lovingly. I have found that much of the Gospel of John... Is, is presented that way in my spirit, such would be the case today. Verse number one. Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him. He sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. They just, they just intruded into the middle, burst into the scene. 
And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This, they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, He lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own, what class? Conscience. Underline that word, it's important. Went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, Where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and say those three words. Say no more. A trap has been set. The Pharisees got a problem. His name is Jesus. When you read in verse number 2 that he went into that temple to sit down there and teach, you read that the people were coming unto him. The people were coming unto him to hear him. Never a man spake like he, man. They'd never seen anybody do like this man. They'd never seen anybody do what this man could do. They were hearing truth from truth. As truth was being listened to and consumed and received in their ears and their mind and into their heart, they were coming unto Jesus. The Pharisees were losing their influence, their crowd, and they were losing their respect. And Jesus was their problem. Instead of the Pharisees humbling themselves like the common man and receiving the Lord, they were rejecting them in their pride and in their self-righteousness. For a while they could stand it, but they got to the place like Popeye where they had all they can stand and they couldn't stand no more. And they got to get rid of this guy. Their, Their motive was to kill him. They had to be careful about it. They had to be shrewd about it. And they had to be legal about it. Because... 
Above all else, they did not want to lose the backing of the people. So they had to make it look right. So they got together and they put together a trap. And the trap itself is one thing. The motive of the trap is another. Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching. And right into the middle of that session, they barge in there with interruption. And they bring this woman. This woman that they say they have taken in the very act of adultery. You're old enough to understand what that means. You're also old enough to understand that it takes two to tango, right? No mention of the man, probably most likely this woman was known for this behavior, so she was an easy target, and they set a trap. She enters into the trap, and the trap is sprung. They grab her, and they bring her. And they cast her at the feet of Jesus. And really and truthfully, what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to put him in a catch-22. And they really are truthfully wanting to bring him to a position where they can accuse him of not obeying the law. Because they believe themselves to be law-abiding, and really they were law-breakers. And they pinned him, what they believe, between a rock and a hard place, either choosing the law... Or choosing the crowd. If he says, with the law, go ahead and kill her, he loses the trust of the people. If he chooses the people and says, "Be let her go, then he's broken the law. It's amazing how man thinks himself to be smart and God to be stupid when just the opposite is true. Right? And so this is the moment they bring her in. Moses rightfully said in the Old Testament that she should be stoned. What do you say? I love this passage of Scripture because, as I mentioned earlier, against the background of hate, I see the love of God. The Pharisees were filled with hate. I would submit to you that this was a hate that was motivated by Satan himself. They hated God. They hated his son. They hated his people. They hated people themselves. One thing that this passage of scripture does is exposes hearts. You're going to see the exposure of the heart of the Pharisee. You're going to see the exposure of the heart of the woman taken in adultery. And praise God, you're going to see the exposure of the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see the exposure of the heart of the love of God, I hope and pray it brings you to a wonderful moment of worship and a desire for Jesus to be your Lord today as well. Put to the screws. We've got him. It's a sure thing. Expecting a verbal response. The Bible says that Jesus bent down on the ground and he began to write. 
Many Bible college classes and seminaries and good times and what I would would say men studying for the ministry is the discussion of what did Jesus write on the ground. We're not told what he wrote on the ground specifically. We are told that whatever he wrote, it had power. Whatever he wrote on that ground penetrated the conscience of hateful men and it cleared a room of condemnation. I would submit to you that I'm not able to exactly tell you what he wrote, but I think I can give you a guideline. They were coming at him from the law, Moses' law. When it comes to Leviticus chapter 17, you will find that there were two things specifically that dealt with the application of this law when it came to the moment of stoning somebody that had committed adultery. The first thing that was needed was you had to have two or three witnesses. I would submit to you, they had two or three witnesses. The second part of that law is found located in the words of Jesus. Look at them please in verse number 7. My Bible, they have red ink to them. Jesus said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now you need to understand that. The stoning in that time was not where you took little rocks and you pitched them hoping like Goliath to hit them between the eyes. Stoning was where they would drag you outside of the city. They would cast you down most of the time a pit. And then they would take big boulders and they would come up and they would crush your skull until they beat your head into the ground and your brains gushed out and you were dead. This they were going to do lawfully. To that woman. Could you imagine if stoning was the law of the land today for adultery? Pastor, why would stoning be, why would it be so aggressive back in the Old Testament? Understand, back in the Old Testament under the, under the law, when judgment came for the law, it was aggressive. Praise God, we don't live under the law today. We live in the age of grace. Right? And by the way, God judged our sin just as aggressively when he crushed his son on the cross. He was stricken and smitten of God. Not only were you witness in the case, but you were also the one that inflicted the stoning. So you were a witness, then you would pick up the stone And you were the one that crushed. It forced you to be sure you were right. Also within that. Was that the witness. Had to be sure. That they were not guilty of the same crime. We caught this woman. In adultery. In the very act of adultery. The law says killer. What do you say? Jesus didn't say anything. 
The Bible says he just began to write on the ground. When he was done writing on the ground, he looked up and he said, whoever in this room is without sin, let him first cast the stone. Then he begins to write again. What was he saying? You better not be guilty of the same crime. Hmm. I wonder what he wrote on the ground. Maybe he wrote their name. Maybe he wrote about the time that they were with that woman. Maybe he wrote about their adultery. I'm so glad that somewhere my sins were written down, but they've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Whatever he wrote on that ground, it pricked their conscience. So powerful that from the oldest to the youngest, one by one, they're gone. I'm going to stop a minute. And I just want to say a word about your conscience. We all have one. Whether you are a believer in this room or not a believer in this room, God created you with a conscience. A conscience in humanity is of utmost importance. Sometimes you hear people say, in good conscience goes against my conscience. I've run into my conscience. Conscience is the knowledge of good and evil that God has put within a man of right and wrong. The Greek word carries with it the idea of a knowing with oneself. Conscience denotes an abiding consciousness whose nature it is to bear witness to the subject regarding his own conduct in a moral sense. So your conscience knows if you're lying or not. Your conscience knows if you love or not. Your conscience knows if you did your homework or not. That covers all the emails I got from the parents. (laughs) Your conscience knows if you were really kind or if you were selfish. The Bible says it this way. The heart, which is a word, another word used for conscience, knoweth his own bitterness. It, It bears witness in my mind To the morality of my conduct. It also presents to me my relationship to God. Where I stand, my behavior. I would submit to you the pricking of your conscience is something that God uses in our lives, and it ought to be valued. So you have unsaved men filled with hate toward God and Jesus pricks them in their conscience. Now what they should have done 
was humbled themselves and said, we're sorry, forgive us, Lord Jesus. Instead, they hardened their heart and they walked away from the Lord. I wonder today if you're out there listening to me and your conscience has been pricked as to who Jesus is in your life. Your conscience has been pricked as to who you are within yourself, within your morality, within your lostness. Your conscience is letting you know that there's wrong that, and that I have been doing and there's right that I'm running into. God can use and will use the conscience to bring men to the Savior. The conscience bears witness. Christian, let me say something about your conscience. The Bible speaks about the importance that our conscience are to be kept pure. They are to be kept void of offense. And they are to be kept clear before God. Probably in my life, I would submit to you that I am the most miserable in my thought process and to be around when I'm battling my conscience. When I know what I said wasn't true, when I know what I did wasn't my best. When I said I love, but I don't. When I said I was honest, but I'm not. When I said I did all of it, and I didn't. Christian, God works in your conscience. He can use it to convict of sin. He can use it to motivate us to do right. When you look at that person and you're saying one thing, but your heart has a difference, your conscience should be going nuts. If you've ever had that experience of running into your conscience, would you say amen? Conscience is not necessarily a total guide in your life, but it is a goad or a prick in your life. It is something you better pay attention to. The Bible does say that the conscience can be defiled. The Bible says the conscience can be seared. The Bible says the conscience can be weak. Usually, when our conscience is going nuts, if we're not going to surrender it to it, then we've got to shut it up somehow. I just want to ask you a question. You know God. You love God. He's in your heart. How's your conscience toward God today? If your conscience is nagging you, address it. If your conscience is speaking to you, go back and say something to them. Fix this. You weren't right here. That ought to be valued. The last thing you want to do as a Christian is not respond to that conscience when God uses it to convict me or to motivate me to do right.
So here come these men, and they throw this half-naked woman who means nothing to them, just a pawn, just a piece of garbage. And they throw in her in front of the Lord Jesus, hoping to expose some difficulty in him. And Jesus turns it around to expose their hearts. One by one, the Bible says that they leave. Verse number 9, the eldest unto the last. And Jesus is left alone with a woman. I love this little uh, moment here between Jesus and the woman because I see in this moment the love of God for sinful humanity. I see the love and tenderness of the Lord Jesus. I see the kindness of the Lord. I see the preciousness of the Lord. By all rights, according to the law, the woman should have been stoned. But she ran into the Lord Jesus, who's full of grace and mercy and truth. The men are gone. Jesus says to her, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Would you hold your hand here and let me show you something about the Lord that you need to know. Would you go to John chapter 3? Just please go to John 3. If you're listening to me somewhere in the world today, and I do mean that, somewhere in the world today, and you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and you're afraid of Him. You're afraid because you see You know you have your own conscience. Know who you are. You don't want to face judgment. You don't want to face condemnation. And and Satan is telling you things about the Lord Jesus that aren't true. If you go to him, he's going to expose you. If you go to him, he's going to condemn you. If you go to him, you're going to feel dirty. If you trust him, all these lies. Would you just listen to Jesus himself about this subject? Jesus himself said this. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. Praise his holy name. Now listen. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. What's Jesus teaching here? Jesus is teaching here that God sent him into the world not to condemn the world. There's one day that Jesus is going to come and he'll sit on that throne. And if you reject him, you'll face condemnation and judgment from him. But he didn't come into the world to judge you. He didn't come into the world to condemn you. He came into the world so that he could cleanse you from your sin and he could save your soul for all eternity. And the devil will tell you all kinds of lies about being exposed or, or, or hated or somehow made to feel certain ways in coming to the Lord Jesus. So here's this woman caught in the very act, rightfully under the law to face condemnation. And Jesus can't ignore her sin, but he can forgive her sin. And so the Lord Jesus, not ignoring her sin, knowing that he was going to pay for her sin, doesn't offer her condemnation. 
he offers her salvation. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 11. Neither do I condemn thee. Notice that statement is after she expresses him as Lord. It is the reception of the Lord Jesus that passes me from condemnation unto life. It's not Jesus came to condemn me. Jesus came to save me. He came to rescue me. He came because I'm already condemned in my sin. Just so I know you're awake, who's the only group in the whole passage wanting to condemn? The Pharisees. Filled with hate toward the Lord. Filled with satanic hate for righteousness self-righteousness and to exalt themselves they got to condemn everyone else the mention of the lord is the mention of her humbling herself to the authority of the lord jesus christ and jesus says based off of that neither do i condemn thee that's her moment of receiving the lord then the lord makes a statement that exposes his heart and go and sin no more. I want to talk to you about this. And I want to talk to you about this tenderly. The Pharisee's heart's been exposed with hatred. The woman's heart has been exposed with confession. The heart of the Lord has been exposed with salvation. And here this woman that was the pawn of a trap now becomes a precious testimony to the grace of God. You know, one of the reasons people don't want to come to Jesus and be saved, sometimes in their mind, is because they don't believe that they could ever live like a Christian. Now, don't lose me here. Stay with me. They they know themselves to have sin they know themselves to have habits they know themselves to have taste they know themselves to have desire they know themselves to have pleasure and and they don't they can't fathom how they could ever be different and so because they can't fathom how they would ever be different or live the Christian life and they don't want to be considered hypocritical, they never come to Jesus. When Jesus says, go and sin no more, he's not telling this woman that she's going to have a life of sinlessness. Pastor, do Christian people sin? Yes. Nod your head, Christian. But we hate sin. Now listen very carefully to Pastor, and I know I'm going over the airways with this, so you listen. He's not saying that the woman is going to have a life of sinlessness, but he is directing her away from a sinful life. Going to say it again. He's not describing a life of sinlessness, but he is describing the absence of a sinful life. So 
Obviously, she was a whore or an adulterer. Obviously, they knew it. They set her up like a dog. They knew they could count on her to jump in that guy's bed and they could be there, right? That's who that woman was when she met the Lord. Hallelujah, when you meet the Lord as Savior, He does a work in you that makes you a new person. Okay? So what you don't understand about coming to Jesus is that nobody in and of themselves can live the Christian life by our own abilities. Salvation is not just some type of mystery that happens to you. It's a work that God does in you. And what God does in me as I believe upon the Lord Jesus is he does that work of salvation out of his will and he creates in me a new creature. Therefore, old things are passed away and all things become new. I I can prove this to you and preach this to you and, and, and hopefully point this to you. Hold your hand here and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Every Christian needs to hear the next couple of moments. This is not a message you hear from the pulpits of our churches today. Go and sin no more. He's not directing her to a life of sinlessness, but also not a sinful life. She has believed upon the Lord, and she's been made new. She has a new love. She has a new life. She has a new Lord. And her life is going to evidence this, right? So come, if you would, to verse number 9 of chapter number 6 of 1 Corinthians Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not, what class? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, that's in your sexuality, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now I ask you, yes or no, did I read you the word of God? Now we have a problem. Here's our problem. I have a problem. I'm in verses 9 and 10. I would dare say you're in verses 9 and 10. So if I read verses 9 and 10, there ain't no way I get to heaven. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve the hottest hell that God creates. But I'm so glad there's a verse number 11. Now watch this. And such were 
some of you. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If that's you, would you say amen? Okay. Go and sin no more. It's not a life of sinlessness. Christian people do sin. But we do not have a sinful life. The bent of my life now is bent in a righteous direction. It is impossible on this side of salvation to still be what I was on this side of salvation. This is what you don't hear from pulpits. If I am a fornicator prior to salvation, and I am a fornicator after salvation, there's been no salvation. Now, let me just use fornication as the example, and we can apply it to everything else. Pastor, what is fornication? It sounds like a bad word. The Greek word is pornea. We get the word pornographic. Fornication, from a biblical plant thing, is sexual sin outside the bonds of marriage. I have a lot of conversations with people as the pastor, right? And sometimes I meet unsaved people and they don't even know that fornication is a sin. They think they should just have sex with everything that walks. You mean I can't have sex with my girlfriend? Like, like you're out of your mind. Let me say something here. Stay with me. 1 Corinthians 6 was not written to the saved man or to the unsaved man. It was written to the saved man. Nowhere in this Bible will you ever find God telling an unsaved person to restrain from individual sins. An unsaved person does not need to confess their individual sin. They need to confess themselves as a sinner. Tell me you understand this. Right? Well, I go to the confessional booth and I, get, I confess my sin. Why would you do that? Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to do that. See, an unsaved person, and this is kind of hard for unsaved people to understand, but until the work of God has happened in your heart and made you righteous through salvation, nothing you can do carries the righteousness of God. That's why you don't ever want to one day stand before God and deny the Lord and present your good deeds. The Bible says in order for you and me to have righteous deeds, we first have to be made righteous by the work of God. So so if I'm an unsaved person, 
I probably am guilty of fornication, adultery, drunkenness. So all these things are just lie, whatever. That's just part of my unsaved nature, right? And I need to be forgiven as a sinner. The evidence of me being a sinner are these individual sins. So this lady was an adulterer. She came to the Lord Jesus and noticed the Lord Jesus deals with her whole in her sin. Go and sin no more. He saves her, redeems her. He creates her new and sends her out to a new life. Okay? We got a problem in our churches. Well, I drink a little wine, but I don't ever get drunk. Well, how often do you drink wine? Well, I drink wine every night. Really? I never get drunk. I, I, I get a little tipsy once in a while. Okay. But, but, but if you'd have known me before I got saved, oh boy, I could smash it. Okay. But here's the problem. You're not the determiner of who gets drunk or what being drunk is, and neither is the state of Florida. God determines that. Your tipsy could be his drunkenness. I was interviewed by the FBI one time, not for a crime I committed. One of our church members, that's even worse. He said, everybody always tells it better than what it really is. Hmm, right? Where are you going with this, pastor? And such were some of you. So if on this side of me being saved, I am just like in my life where I was over here, the bent of my life, the direction of my life, there's no righteousness there. Not where I may fall once in a while, but I am a continued pornographer. I am a continued fornicator. I sleep with anything that walks. I commit adultery like crazy. I'm drunk. I'm a liar. You can't trust me. Everything I do is just like I was. Be not deceived. There ought to be the pricking of our conscience. Such were some of you. We're washed, we're sanctified, and we're justified. And we're different. That hateful heart of those Pharisees got exposed. That repentant heart of that sinner got exposed. And the loving heart of our Savior got exposed. That's our God, people. That's the salvation He offers us. Christian, There must be a new work of righteousness done in you. There must be a new work of righteousness. If you are now what you were then, nothing has happened. God help us. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, God, 
It was a scheme to trap the Lord. They just didn't understand he's eternal God. He knew everything about them. He didn't have to say a word. He just wrote on the ground. The Bible they tried to use to convict him. He used to expose them. Jesus had a clean conscience that day as he has his whole existence. Their conscience was on fire. And the only thing they could do is run. Get out of Dodge. And there stood a woman, rightfully under condemnation. But she was repentant. She met the Lord. She didn't run. She, had, she could have run. She stayed. And Jesus said, where, where condemners, they're gone, Lord. Neither do I condemn thee. Man, God, I was under such condemnation. So guilty. And you love me. And you saved me. And you cleansed me. And you washed me. And you justified me. Praise your holy name. You sent that woman out of there that day with a direction in her life. Go. Sin no more. Didn't mean she was never going to sin or a life of sinlessness. She wasn't an adulterer anymore. She had a new Lord. She had a new love. She had a new life. I want that for God's people, for us to understand the work of salvation in our lives. I wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed, Christian, I'm going to start with you. How's your conscience today before God? Only you know. You and God. I don't want you to sear it. I don't want you to defile it. I don't want you to shut it up. I want you to allow God to use it to convict you and direct you in the right way. It's miserable to fight your conscience. All you can do is run, hide, scream. It's better to surrender to the Lord. Christian, tell me you're new. Pastor, I've had an adulterous affair. Pastor, I, I, I got drunk. Pastor, I, I'm a, I stole some. Yeah, we commit things, but that's not the direction of our life. And we're convicted and we hate that. We seek forgiveness for that because God's done a work in our life. Such were some of you let the spirit of God work like a candle maybe you're here today you've been afraid to come to Jesus because you're afraid of his condemnation don't be afraid of his condemnation he loves you 
He knows who you are just like he knew who I was. And he's there ready to forgive if you're willing to seek his forgiveness. In a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. We have an invitation. There will be men and ladies here with a Bible. We'd love to take a Bible and show you how you could be saved. If you want to know the Lord today, Christian, maybe you need to come and do business with God. Maybe that conscience is pricking you that way. Only you know this is your moment in this service. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, God, have your way now and your will. What a beautiful picture of the love of God. What a beautiful picture of the salvation of God. What a beautiful picture of the enablement of God in our lives. Lord, all of us now must respond to what the Spirit of God is working in our lives. I pray you give us courage. If there be anybody here that's not saved, may they come today and just tell one of the men, I'd like to be saved. We take a Bible. Show them how to be saved. Have your way and your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our song is just as I am. You know it, men of God. Please be ready to receive and pray with anyone that comes forward. The altar is open. You move as God leads you. person I used to go to church and my dad would preach and man the spirit of God would speak to me and my conscience would be all tore up all I wanted to do was get out of the building and I'd come back to church and he'd preach again and conscience get tore up and all I want to do is get out of the building over and over again and after a while my old conscience stopped bothering me God didn't stop speaking. I seared it. And it took a great work of God in my life to puncture through the searing of my conscience. Heed that story. We have coming forward today Francine Whitman, whom we love, known for years, been attending. 
she wants to make it formal. She's coming to present her day, present herself today for membership at Plantation Baptist Church. I rejoice with her. If you rejoice, say amen, please. And I'm looking forward to what this is. God has done this. God is finishing his journey. Pray for Francine. She's had some health difficulties here recently. We've been lifting her up to the throne of grace. I pray that you continue to do it. Thank you for loving the word of God. Thank you for letting me preach to you today. I'll see you next week. We go home with our verse, Since I have been redeemed, a song that God has given to me. Lift your voice. Come by and greet Francine. Bless you, Lord.